California Air Resource Board, or CARB, is a California government agency that resulted from the 1967 merging of the state's Bureau of Air Sanitation and its Motor Vehicle Pollution Control Board. It's part of California's larger Environmental Protection Agency, and its purpose is to make the air cleaner, healthier, and as free of toxins as possible. Falling under that remit is the setting of vehicle emissions standards, the minimum miles per gallon of fuel efficiency vehicles must offer in order to be sold in the state. And California is the only state that is allowed to set such standards, as the federal U.S. government is generally the setter of such things. But the Clean Air Act of 1967 allows the state to get permission to set its own standards from the U.S. government, and then as long as the EPA does not find their standards arbitrary or broadly inconsistent with the goals of the United States' ambitions, and as long as they are more ambitious than the United States' standards for such things, they must grant that permission to the California government. The CARB has only 16 total members, two of whom are there just for oversight purposes so they don't have voting powers, and 12 of the remaining 14 are appointed by the governor of California and are then confirmed by the state senate. Each of these members are different sorts of air and pollution experts from different regions across the state, except for two members of the public and one person who serves as the chair of the group. This group, though small and relatively humble in terms of the powers granted to them and the resources allotted, has an out-of-proportion influence because other states can choose to adopt the vehicle fuel standards they set instead of those set by the United States federal government. And that's important because California's fuel standards, since 2009 at least, when they won a court case that confirmed their ability to do this, do tend to be more ambitious than those set by the federal EPA. The states that choose to use California's standards are often referred to as CARB states, and there are 16 of them, inclusive of California, as of the 2025 regulatory year. This capability was temporarily truncated in 2019 when then-President Trump decided to take away California's right to set such standards and the right to set up other popular in California and other CARB states programs, like the ZEV mandate, standing for Zero Emissions Vehicle Mandate, which basically said a certain percentage of fleet vehicles had to be zero emissions vehicles, the percentage increasing each year. He wanted to take that right to set such things away, saying, in essence, a state government should not be able to do so. This rule was reversed in mid-2021, which gave California back that power to set standards, and though many car makers, including Ford, Volkswagen, Honda, and BMW, stuck with California's earlier standards, even after they were no longer legally required to do so to sell cars in the state because of Trump's actions, 17 states sued the EPA in 2022, saying basically that because California's standards have such a huge impact on how vehicles are developed and sold, car companies adhering to them, even when not legally required to do so, because they want to keep selling their cars in California in the future, because they have that power, it unfairly gives California more leverage over the industry than other states enjoy. 
That lawsuit, Ohio versus EPA, is ongoing, but California's influence in this and many other industries, especially in climate-related spaces of late, continues for the time being. What I'd like to talk about today is a recent piece of legislation passed by the California government that could have even bigger and broader implications for corporations across the U.S. and around the world. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. Learn more about Let's Know Things, subscribe to receive free email updates, and or become a supporter to receive monthly bonus episodes at letsknowthings.com. California's Senate Bill 253, also called SB 253, also called the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act, was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom in early October 2023 and its essential function is requiring that large California businesses track, calculate, and disclose their direct and indirect greenhouse gas emissions. In practice, that means companies that fit the criteria of making more than $1 billion a year will need to report their emissions. The compulsory reporting of emissions for big businesses is already a pretty big deal, especially in the U.S., but this is broadly the case in most countries around the world right now. Some very few governments require this, most do not. And this law will likely affect more than 5,300 companies, which means it will almost immediately have a profound impact on our capacity to understand who is emitting what, in part by goosing the fortunes of companies doing that sort of tracking and computing and reporting. And that in turn means we will have an easier and less expensive time in the near future getting this sort of information for other purposes as well. There's not enough businesses to keep a bunch of emissions tracking companies in the black right now. But soon, with all these big California businesses needing their services by law, that will change dramatically. It won't be tomorrow, though, that all that changes. Under this law, the California Air Resources Board has to adopt reporting regulations by January 1st, 2025. The impacted companies must start disclosing their Scope 1 and 2 emissions publicly in 2026, and in 2027, they must report their Scope 3 emissions as well. Scope 1 emissions are those that a company, let's say Apple, emits directly. So any emissions created by vehicles the company's staff uses while doing business are Scope 1 emissions. Scope 2 emissions expand the radius of what we are looking at to include the energy produced to power the things that a company does. So for instance, any emissions produced generating the electricity that keeps the lights on at their offices would be scope two emissions. So that's relatively few or zero emissions if they're using solar panels, but substantially more if they're using electricity that's produced by a gas or coal plant. Scope 3 emissions are even broader, encompassing not just in-company direct activity and the production of the energy that fuels that activity, but also the activities conducted by others on their behalf, all the way up and down the supply chain. So while Apple does not directly control the factories where iPhones are made, the emissions from these factories, which are owned by a completely different company, are still within their Scope 3 responsibility, wherever those factories happen to be located and whomever happens to control them, as is the fuel burned to ship those iPhones from China 
to their final destination and all the packaging waste that results from the selling of those products. Some of these emissions are relatively easy to track or estimate, others substantially less so. It becomes a huge undertaking to keep tabs on the shipping fleet activities of other companies that you hire, just as it can be tricky to get accurate numbers from entities run by governments where such reporting is not required by law, and where the tracking and reporting of such things is consequently uncommon. Part of why these companies are being given several years of lead time, then, is to make sure all the California government's I's are dotted and T's are crossed, but it's also to give these companies the opportunity to figure out how to track and calculate these things, and to give them the ability to do a decent job of it, despite there not being convenient or reliable ways of accomplishing this in many industries and in many parts of the world right now. Much of this is new territory, and this law, among other things, will stimulate the creation of new tracking and calculating and reporting systems and methods. Many companies, like Apple and Microsoft and Adobe, and other tech giants in particular, already track their emissions, mostly Scope 1 and or Scope 2, with a bare few also attempting to keep tabs on their Scope 3 responsibilities, either for ideological reasons or because they want to get ahead of the ball seeing the writing on the wall, basically, about where this is all going, and not wanting to be caught flat-footed if and when new laws arrive that require the tracking of these sorts of things, with heavy penalties for the failure to do so. This law levies a penalty of a half million dollars on companies that fail to report their emissions, but there are no penalties for the volume of the emissions. The idea, then, is that this is a first step toward emissions-related fines, but since we can't really find companies for hardcore emissions when we can't prove that they are emitting a lot of greenhouse gases in the first place, first we have to make sure there is reliable, accurate tracking practices in place. And all that tracking must be verified by third-party inspectors, which is something this law also requires. But for the time being, this is mostly an exercise in getting everyone used to this new way of doing things and ensuring the infrastructure for future tracking-related legislation has been installed. While this is still a pretty new thing in the U.S. and globally, California is not the first entity to pass this sort of legislation. The European Union has a new law that requires, beginning as soon as January 2024, that large international companies that raise money on European stock exchanges will need to provide data about their emissions, alongside information about their climate risk exposure and their strategies for addressing those emissions and risks. It's expected that relatively few companies will fall under the auspices of this EU law in 2024, but that by 2025, more than 3,000 U.S. companies will have to follow these guidelines, and more than 50,000 companies globally will need to do the same, resulting in an expansion of those aforementioned emissions tracking and assessment businesses, and a lot more companies globally taking these sorts of data points into consideration, working these sorts of standards into their business models by necessity, and slowly but surely changing their industries and expectations as a consequence. EU laws have been incredibly influential across a variety of spaces over the past decade or so. Their regulations on internet privacy have forced a slew of standards on many global companies, for instance, as it's tricky to differentiate between customers in different parts of the world online. 
and it's often just easier to apply the most stringent rules to everyone, rather than trying to splinter the web into EU users and everyone else, and probably getting it wrong at least part of the time, which can lead to fines. The EU's emissions rules will likely have a similar impact, as businesses don't want to be cut out of the EU market, and in many cases they will do the math and realize that it's probably worth the investment to just get their emissions reporting system set up now, so they don't have to worry about it later, when more penalties for this sort of thing are passed in various countries, and so they're not outcompeted by other companies in their space that did make those investments earlier on. And California's new standard is likely to be similarly, if not even more, impactful, in part because California is a huge economy. It would be one of the top five biggest economies in the world by GDP if it were a country, and no one wants to be cut out of that market, or the larger United States market of which it is a part. In other words, car companies are willing to play ball with California because they want to sell their cars in California without penalty or obstruction. And corporations are likely to play ball with these hefty emissions standards for the same reason, because they want to do business in California and the larger United States, and the investment, though not nothing, is also not as big a deal as having to move elsewhere or being otherwise hindered in-state in the future. And having similar rules in both California and the European Union doubles the incentive for corporations to get their ducks in a row, emissions tracking-wise. Worth noting is that both pieces of legislation in California and the EU were watered down a bit before they became law. California had a similar bill up for debate in 2022, and that one failed to become law, and there was a last-minute effort in the EU by mostly conservative lawmakers to kill off their law before it could be made real. And both pieces of legislation had to be reduced in aggressiveness and impact a bit before arrival to get enough support and avoid the hazards all that opposition represented. That said, they are both still stronger than anything else that's ever been passed on this subject in a major economy, and they apply to slightly different types of companies, with the EU hitting more and a wider variety of businesses, while California's law encompasses fewer, larger companies. Also notable is that the U.S. government is attempting to get a similar sort of bill passed, though its version, like its fuel efficiency requirements, will almost certainly be less aggressive than California's version of the same. And while there are efforts to get Scope 3 emissions in there at least a little, Republicans are threatening to kill the whole thing, even saying they will subpoena folks from the EPA if they go for anything too strong by suggesting that the agency is basically collaborating with the EU regulators on climate regulations in an illegal fashion. The leaders of some major U.S. companies, those that are not impacted by either of these laws, have said that they are keen just to get clarity on all of this, and would be fine with more regulation as long as it's consistent and understandable and doesn't break the bank. They know that it's coming, and they would like to clear the fog of war that's making things complicated for them right now. Others have said that any such requirements are nonsense and not fair, and that the entire exercise is pointless, and that they will thus fight any such regulation to the bitter end. That latter group is spending more money on lobbyists and such to influence things, and there's a chance the federal U.S. version of this law will either be delayed for a very long time, or will arrive as a wisp of a hint of its former self. But there's also a decent chance these first two and other subsequent versions of this type of law passed in other countries fill in the gaps for a huge number of corporate entities, resulting in similar outcomes to a U.S. federal law 
even if that sort of law is not passed or is passed but is so weak that it doesn't really matter. Because these existing laws as a pair force so many companies to make changes if they want to remain competitive and want to keep their market valuations stable as investors start to take these sorts of calculations into consideration and to ensure they're able to get insurance and maintain decent ratings as those systems start to adjust to this new reality as well. The book I'd like to recommend today is called Undue Hate, a behavioral economic analysis of hostile polarization in U.S. politics and beyond by Daniel F. Stone. This book takes a look at some of the tribalization and demonization of different groups, especially political groups, but not exclusively political groups in the United States and around the world through the lens of behavioral economics. And as a consequence, it doesn't just look at the superficial side of this. It digs a little bit deeper to find at a core level why we find so much satisfaction in doing this, what the incentives are, both personal and societal and tribal, and why in many cases the way that we approach these issues, despite thinking that we are trying to solve things and might make things better, why those approaches often make things worse, exacerbating the conflicts instead of toning them down. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Undue Hate by Daniel F. Stone. You can subscribe to receive email updates, find show notes and other such content, and support this show financially, receiving additional bonus episodes as a thank you at letsknowthings.com. Learn more about me and my work at colin.io. Subscribe to my other news-focused podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your pods, or at onesentencenews.com. And say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Instagram and Twitter, and Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.